0: been
1: expecting you. <laughs>
2: Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to the History Ghost Bump Halloween Special. Happy Halloween. This is your host Diane, and this is Denise, and we're very excited to share with you tonight not only a Brief history of Halloween, but we have some ghost stories from you guys. We want to thank those of you who shared your tales with us. We're going to really enjoy sharing those with everyone else.
3: Yes, very much. Thank you. Because I know sometimes it's hard to disclose things or you, you're you not sure what to do. And so we really appreciate everybody who donated stories for this show.
2: Yes. So, of course, this is a no judgment zone. We're not going to think you're crazy because you've seen things that go Bump in the night or heard them or what have you. Before we get into talking about the history of Halloween, just want to direct you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. You can also send us email. There may be some of you who after listening to the show this evening think, wow, I wish I could have told my story or I've got a great story too. We want to hear those. We will add those on to our bonus casts in the future. So you can email those to us at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Or if you want to do it as an audio, you don't want to type it out, we can always get together with you and do a recording.
3: Halloween has a rich history that dates back to the 16th century. Many customs and rituals continue to this day, but very few people know the origins of some of the rituals many of us have observed on this day, be it bobbing for apples to carving pumpkins to going door-to-door trick-or-treating. Many of us have wonderful memories from when we were children, and for us here at History Goes Bump, it continues to be one of our favorite holidays.
2: And speaking of memories of Halloween, Denise, I'm sure you did lots of different costumes. Did you have a favorite costume?
3: Actually, I'd say some of my most favorite costumes have been the ones I've, I've done as an adult. So I was always hard-pressed to find things. I remember those funny ones with the mask that you could barely breathe through, but if you stuck your tongue through the little hole, it sometimes got stuck. You know, the little, like, plastic, whatever ones that you just did. But um, some of my most favorite Halloween costumes have been the ones I've had as an adult, so maybe I'm regressing, I'm not sure.
2: <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned those one kind of costumes, cause obviously they don't have them anymore, so any young people listening to this will have no clue what we're talking about. They have really great costumes nowadays. I mean, most of them are, you know, cloth and everything, but I remember, like you said, the costumes that Denise is talking about were plastic. I mean, it was like this, almost like a plastic shirt and pants that were all together, and if you stepped wrong, you split the, you just split it. You ripped it. So these costumes never lasted more than that evening. And like she said, it was just this, um, I don't even know what they, I guess it was just a plastic mask. And it just went right over your face. It had the little elastic band on the back to hold it. And yeah, you could barely see out. Of it. it had like little holes cut out for the eyes. You could barely see out of it. And yeah, we would stick our tongue out too. I remember I was Tweety Bird one year and Snoopy another
3: but I would be hard-pressed to say what my um, favorite costume is. So I would say probably my three favorite is Ping from Mulan um, that one of my students' uh, grandmothers made for me, which is very, very unique, and it's, it's a one-of-a-kind. So I love that one. I love our steampunk stuff because I feel very, like, back to the ritzy-glitzy time. And then I, being with Pirates of the Caribbean and Disney, I absolutely love my Angelica costume as well.
2: Yeah, I'm right there. I've always loved doing the pirate thing. And, uh, of course, our costumes have gotten more elaborate as we've gotten older. So I like my current Elizabeth Swan pirate costume. And also the steampunk is very, very cool, which we've done for the past couple of Halloweens. I always was really big into doing my own makeup and stuff, too. So a lot of you've probably seen, I think they said that Nightmare on Elm Street turned 30 this year, which made me feel old because I remember the first time I saw it was at a sleepover with a bunch of teenage girls. I wanted to be Freddy Krueger one year and this is back before they had the Freddy Krueger mask and the Freddy Krueger little hand with the knife blades and everything. So I had an old garden glove and then I cut out these uh, cardboard knife-like shapes and I put tin foil over them to make them look like they were metal and I taped them onto the front of these gloves and then I got all this fake skin type makeup and I did all my own makeup. It's One of the only costumes I never got a picture of, but I spent a lot of work on it, and it it turned out awesome. And when it comes to trick-or-treating, there's always the favorite candy did you have a favorite candy you would get? I mean, I I think a lot of our listeners who are about our age probably remember doing the whole bartering with your siblings. Like, I've got a Three Musketeers for your Kit Kat or something of that nature. Did you have a, a favorite candy?
3: See, lucky for me, I always like what everybody calls the junk candy. So I, like, love Smarties, Lemonheads. All the things that everybody were always wanting to get rid of, so I was, I was an easy trade. I, I like the chocolate stuff, but I would easily trade all the quote unquote good candy for the junk candy, cause I love Smarties, they're one of my favorites. Did you eat that
2: stuff that was like good and plenty, and?
3: I didn't like the chewy type things, but I did like those dots that came on the paper that I've tasted them recently <laughs> and they, they, don't taste all that great, but I loved getting the dots that you peeled off the paper.
2: Oh, and then there was that candy that was in the the orange and black wrappers. They still make it at some kind of peanut butter wax crap, and <laughs> I can't stand that stuff. My two favorites were always and still are to this day, Three Musketeers or Milky Ways. I would I would trade you any of my other candy in order to get those.
3: And we still trade back and forth, even though it goes in the same bowl. But while we're at Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, Diane and are trading Smarties and Three Musketeers, it's kind of funny that we come home and dump it in the same bowl.
2: That is the nice thing about (laughs) going to the Disney parks for the Halloween party, because you get to go trick-or-treating when you're an adult, and we came home with three big bags of candy.
3: Oh, really quick, the other one that was, do you remember the little bottles full of liquid that were wax? You know what is so <laughs> the weird? the teeth and stuff. <laughs> I can't
2: believe you're mentioning that because I had a little vision of that go through my head and I thought those were the most disgusting thing. Yep.
3: Or like the waxed, like Did goofy you like teeth. them? I, well, I like the waxed teeth not to eat, but like to look like a dork.
2: <laughs> but did you drink the liquid that was in that shit?
3: Yeah, I like that.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was not my thing. I thought, what is that toxic liquid in there? <laughs> so, uh... While you're listening to the show, think about it. What was your favorite costumes, your favorite kind of food? If you want to let us know, you can add your comments over at the blog. We have the History of Halloween blog post over there. We'd love to have your comments under there. You let us know that, or you can send us an email too. We'd just love to hear from you guys, or you can share it on our Facebook page. Much of the Halloween customs come from the time of harvest. Before we had modern marvels like calendars and clocks, people used the moon, the sun, and the seasons to keep track of the passing of time. The name for this time of year became Samhain, meaning end of summer. Bonfires were built as a part of the festivals. This is also the time when the Gaelics developed the belief that continues to this day that the veil between our world and the afterlife is thin and communication between those worlds is more accessible. Candles were placed in windows to light the way for spirits, particularly lost family members. Not all spirits were good and people developed a system for scaring the spirits away which have become our modern-day jack-o'-lanterns. Centuries ago, any kind of gourd would be hallowed out and used, and sometimes even turnips were used. People would carry smaller gourds with them as they traveled. There
3: is some folklore that goes along with the carving of pumpkins about how the name Jack got involved. The website Halloween History has some variations. In folklore, an old Irish folktale tells of Jack, a lazy yet shrewd farmer who uses a cross to trap the devil. One story says that Jack tricked the devil into climbing an apple tree, and once he was up there, Jack quickly placed crosses around the trunk or carved a cross into the bark so that the devil couldn't get down. Another myth says that Jack put a key in the devil's pocket while he was suspended upside down. Another version of the myth says that Jack was getting chased by some villagers from whom he had stolen when he met the devil who claimed it was time for him to die. However, the thief stalled his death by tempting the devil with a chance to bedevil the church-going villagers chasing him. Jack told the devil to turn into a coin with which he would pay for the stolen goods. The devil could take on any shape he wanted. Later, when the coin-slash-devil disappeared, the Christian villagers would fight over who had stolen it. The devil agreed to this plan. He turned himself into a silver coin and jumped into Jack's wallet, only to find himself next to a cross Jack had also picked up in the village. Jack had closed the wallet tight, and the cross stripped the devil of his powers, and so he was trapped. In both myths, Jack only lets the devil go when he agrees to never take his soul. After a while, the thief died, as all living things do. Of course, his life had been too sinful for Jack to go to heaven. However, the devil had promised not to take his soul, and so he was barred from hell as well. Jack now had nowhere to go. He asked how he would see where to go as he had no light, and the devil mockingly tossed him an ember that would never burn out from the flames of hell. Jack carved out one of his turnips, which was his favorite food, put the ember inside, and began endlessly wandering the earth for a resting place. He became known as Jack of the Lantern or Jack-o'-lantern. Pretty, pretty cool folklore, huh? Yeah, I never heard that story. That's very cool. No,
2: I never had either. Some people did not feel fully protected by their lanterns, so they would wear masks and costumes to conceal their identity and fool the spirits, or at least attempt to appease them. Modern celebrations include costumes as well, and children wear them as they go door-to-door trick-or-treating, which when taken for its full meaning indicates that if someone does not cough up some sweet treats, a trick will be played on them. While some people believe that Halloween is completely satanic in nature, it is full of Christian history and tradition. Pope Gregory III chose November 1st as All Saints Day in the 8th century, and the night before became known as All Hallows' Eve. The tradition of going door-to-door for goodies has been a part of All Saints Day since medieval times. Poor people would go door to door asking for food and offering to pay for the lost souls of family members. This was started in Ireland and Britain and was originally called souling and the food people were given was called soul cakes.
3: Soul food, the original. (laughs) (laughs) I want
2: some soul food. (laughs) You would have never thought that got started in uh, Ireland, right?
3: No, blimey for no way.
2: (laughs) In France, Christian family members would pray at the graves of loved ones and leave them bowls of milk. Why? I do not know. In Italy, families would leave a meal out for the deceased before they headed off to church services. Um, Frankly, Denise, if we did that and we came home and the food was eaten, we'd do, do one of two things. Either we'd get the hell out because we'd be spooked, or we'd be like, there's somebody in our home, and we ain't going to be like the three little bears, so we're going to get out our little princess, and um, somebody's going to get shot.
3: Or in today's age, depending on where they left the food out, if it was outside, we've been warned not to do that because there's bears in our neighborhood. Irish and Scottish immigrants brought their traditions with them to America. There's little evidence that Halloween customs, particularly trick-or-treating, were practiced in America before 1900. But after that time, newspapers began to report the practice, and it steadily grew in popularity. Unfortunately, the practice has lost some of its appeal, and people have noticed fewer trick-or-treaters at their homes, all because of a hoax we all grew up with This kid. News reports were always warning parents to check their kids' treats for poison and needles, and hospitals opened up their x-ray machines to check the candy which probably did more poisoning of the candy than any human ever did. Parents would not let any of us eat the candy until they checked it and took some of it. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? And we all lived in that fair, and it was for nothing, although the urban legend continues to this day. Snopes has the details, and we have a link to that on our website. Trunk treating has become quite popular in these most recent years and usually occur in church or school parking lots. Children go from car to car to get their treats, and people generally decorate their trunks in a variety of themes.
2: Okay, I'm sorry, but I don't know. What's with these kids nowadays? If my folks took me somewhere, and I don't mean to step on any toes, but if my folks took me to a parking lot and said we were going to trunk or treat, uh uh-uh. No, I like doing the going from house to house in the dark, especially those ones that were the creepiest ones on the block.
3: Which has inspired her to try to make our house the creepiest one on the block. So we have a rivalry going on between us and the other neighbor. and Diane's trying to creep us out even more.
2: There's nothing more fun on Halloween than to scare the little kids. Of course, if they're little, little kids, I don't scare them. Denise rescues them at the end of the driveway and gives them their candy so they don't have to come up by the scary person. I've got the strobe lights and the fog, and this year I'm going to... Last year I wore a glow-in-the-dark mask, but this year I'm going to do freaky makeup.
3: And she follows the kids down to the block and totally freaks them out so they're running, screaming for their life.
2: Okay, well, these are not kids. These are <laughs> ornery teenagers.
3: They kept saying, we're not as scared of you. We're not afraid of you. You don't scare us. That was pretty funny.
2: But when I started... started... Started stalking them like Michael Myers, they sure were scared.
3: She even freaked out our neighbor two doors down who has like a zombie with smoke coming out of its mouth. Oh, I love Halloween. And Halloween
2: in America has continued to expand and incorporated far too many symbols to count, from bats to vampires to witches and more. Haunted experiences and theme parks are lucrative enterprises, and most cities feature the very thing we love here at History Goes Bump. Ghost tours, and walks. So we invite all of you out there. If you didn't do it this year, make sure that you make a ghost walk a part of your Halloween celebrations. They're just a fabulous way to get a hold of the history of the city that you live in and to get some of the creepy stories with it. And generally speaking, when you do these kinds of things, you're benefiting your local historical society or historical locations. They use those funds to keep those places going. Now, of course, one of Denise's and my favorite things is scary, real ghost stories. We love to tell them around the campfire when we're camping. And so we have a little fire pit here at our house. So let's all gather around the fire pit here at our house and
3: let's hear some of those ghost stories that you guys have shared with us. But our first ghost story comes from Casey and it goes something like this. I'm still not entirely sure what to think of this experience, but it happened during my freshman year at Coe College. It was during Labor Day weekend, and both my roommates were gone for the weekend. This was the first time I had been alone since leaving home for the first time in my life. Anyway, I was cleaning out our dorm room, third floor of Voorhees Hall, and it just seemed unusually cold, even though the window was closed. Now, mind you, our dorm room is set as two rooms, the main room, where we have company over to watch movies and play games, and the secondary room, where we sleep and study. I was in the secondary part of the room when I heard something fall in the main room. Turns out, a couple of picture frames fell over. I didn't think much of it, but found it a little odd that they fell without the assistance of a breeze or something. Anyway, I went to bed soon after cleaning, I was slowly drifting off to sleep when out of nowhere a white female face with her eyes blacked out appeared in front of my face and screamed. I sat straight up, short of breath, and with a cold sweat. I wasn't sure what to make of it, but I knew for sure that I didn't want to go back to bed. Turns out, after further research, our room used to be part of the campus's infirmary, and the face who appeared that night had belonged to Helen, a former student that had died of the Spanish influenza many years earlier. Students who had previously lived in that dorm room had also experienced unusual occurrences of cold drafts and falling frames and other miscellaneous objects. Glad I wasn't the only one. I thought for a while that I was going crazy from homesickness. I haven't done too much additional research of Helen on Coe College's campus, but I know that you can Google her history in campus hauntings. I hear that she currently haunts McCabe Hall, where the grandfather clock that her family donated resides.
2: Wow, if I had a ghost scream in my face, um, I don't think I would have been staying in that dorm.
3: Nope, I think my next-door dorm neighbors would have had an extra person <laughs> for the night, for sure.
2: And as Casey mentioned, this is something that you can find out more about on the Internet co-college is in cedar rapids iowa and prairieghosts.com, which is troy taylor's website does talk about helen she was once a young poet and resident of Voorhees hall who died during the influenza epidemic of 1918 her spirit has now taken up residence inside of an old grandfather clock in the building where she once lived it had been donated to the school by her parents after her death During the darkest hours of the night, Helen is said to leave the clock and play the piano in the parlor or climb the stairs to her old dorm room on the second floor, which apparently would be the one that Casey had lived in. Late at night, the spirit is said to appear beside students' beds, slam doors, and pull the covers off the beds. Our next story comes to us from Lori, and she's going to share it with us herself. All right, I'm gonna spook you. So um, I was with a team as a medic, and
4: actually, I was a team leader. Um, We were inserted into a a region of the world I can't name, and we were had completed our mission and were traveling out, and we were in a swamp-like area. We were walking through water. We had run out of water. We had run out of food. We we couldn't, we didn't know where we were at and I was following the map and I kept following this map and we kept looking around and there were there were no signs of what should have should have been there according to the map. And we figured out that we had gone off the map and we didn't know which direction. Uh we didn't know where we were at at all. We just had no clue and so we could not get to our extraction point. So I'm sitting there with a with a group of soldiers who are looking at me like <laughs> we're gonna die in this Godforsaken swamp in this country and our families are never gonna know what happened to us. I was sitting there and studying the map and trying to figure out where we had gotten twisted around. And I looked up and I saw my grandmother. And my grandmother died when I was almost seven. She was kind of beckoning me to come her way. I just kind of shook it off because at that point in time, I was I was suffering the effects of dehydration and knew that hallucinations were their part of dehydration. They're a symptom of dehydration. We were packing out a young soldier, um who had been injured and he looked up and he also saw her and described her to the teeth. And he said, she's waving at us. And I thought, oh, he's hallucinating to the pain medication. He's dehydrated. And I was out of IV fluids, so I couldn't do anything for him. Nobody had any water. We didn't have any water purification tablets anymore. So there was absolutely nothing we could do. We were trying to catch dew and rainwater at night to at least hydrate him, keep him going, kind of at that wall that you hit. And, you know, I turned around and I looked at the guys and I said, look, we, we either survive or we die. And we have to figure out how to survive because I'm, for one, I'm not willing to die in this country. So I looked up and my grandmother is beckoning me again. Now, my Native American heritage tells me that those who pass before us become guides for us. Christian terms, they become angels. They help you as you move along life's path. And when you get into trouble, they will come to you, but you have to open yourself to listen to them. Leaning on my Native heritage, I looked at her, and she's just waving, like, come here come this way. And so I said, all right, here we go. And I started kind of following her and I would lose sight of her. And then pretty soon she'd show up again and and she'd wave. And I'm reading the compass and I was like, this is totally the wrong direction. Am I just killing us? And I would look up and there she would be and she would be waving, you know, come this way, come this way. Then beside her was a friend of mine who had been Killed in a training accident, and he was standing beside her, and he was waving with her. And so I'm looking at these two people that I haven't seen for many years in my life, and they're both waving at me, and they're saying, you know, it's just like, come this way, come this way. So I continued to follow them, and after about four or five hours, we began to hear rotor blades. I looked at my team, and I said, we're close, because they were really frantically waving, and we had a time limit. If we didn't reach our extraction site by a certain time, the aircraft were going to leave. And we were going to be left there to try to find our way out of this country. And they they were frantically waving, come, come, come. I said, all right, guys, we got to run. We were running. And pretty soon, I could really hear the rotor blades. And then I could see the hill, the extract hill, and the aircraft. And they were standing by the aircraft waiting at us to come. When we got into the clearing and were headed for the aircraft, they both were gone and we were safely extracted. And to this day I know that's what they were doing. They were leading us to our extraction
2: point. That is an amazing story and not only just because of all the specifics about it, but that somebody else saw it because it would be so easy to say, well, you were hallucinating, uh, sure, but That another guy there actually was seeing what you were seeing is amazing.
4: Yeah, and he didn't even know my grandmother was gone, and he described her to a T. When our buddy showed up, he looked and he said, Look, he's here. Can you see him? And so, yeah, yeah, my uh, young corporal saw him, saw. Both images and called the, the young soldier by name.
2: Now, did you ever see her again, or was this the only time that you've seen her?
4: No, I had,
2: I did see her again. I was on a air sea rescue
4: mission. I had gotten out of the water um, or gotten into the water to rescue some people who were in a boat that was sinking. They were in a small boat. Of course, ignored the Coast Guard warnings uh, not to go out. Uh, into the ocean and they did and we got sent out i started to jump into the water and i felt that it was like two hands on my chest pushing me back into the helicopter and i, I couldn't jump out I was like, you know my pilot's like are you going to deploy are you going to deploy And I like, i'm trying i'm trying so i can't i can't get out of the bird and i looked down and if i had jumped when i I was going to jump. You have to time, uh, in those kind of seas, you have to time your, your jump into the water so that you hit the peak of a wave because we were in 50 foot seas. So had I jumped when I was going to jump, I would have jumped into the trough and would have been killed because I would have fallen more than, more than 50 feet. I would probably have fallen about 80 feet and that is absolute death. And I, I'm like, what the heck was holding me in this helicopter? And when the crest of the wave came, I kind of felt this push on my back, and I and I jumped. And as I was falling down, I saw my grandmother. She was shaking her head at me like, okay, you're going to be okay. And as I, I hit the water, I got disoriented. All I could hear was the helicopter, and I couldn't see the ship. And I just felt this, like somebody had grabbed a hold of me and was pulling me by my wetsuit towards the aircraft, or towards the the boat in the water. I, I, was able to, to safely get the people off the boat and into the life raft. And as I was going to start to, the basket was coming down to start putting people in the basket. And we got, I got two people in the basket and then the basket malfunctioned. It wouldn't come down. And I saw this airman's image again and my grandmother again. And this airman had been lost at sea many years. Well, not many years ago, but a few years prior uh you know the movie the perfect storm yeah and and the rescue jumper who was killed in that and he was up there and the winch malfunctioned they could not lower the basket down again they couldn't lower the cable down so i could bring people up with the cable completely malfunctioned and the aircraft went bingo fuel and they called down and said they had to go so i i Got everybody secure in the life raft and the aircraft flew away and it was probably about a mile away. I could, I could just barely see it and it blew up.
2: Oh my god.
4: And there, you know, there we were in the middle of the ocean, and this aircraft blew up. As I was talking to them about the winch, there was no mechanical reason for that winch to fail. The winch was in perfect working order, and there was absolutely no mechanical reason for the winch to fail. But at the time the winch failed, they started to get warning bells in the cockpit about the aircraft that there was a problem with the rotors on the aircraft and it just looked All I could do was put my arm around the side of that raft, laying in the, standing, or I don't know, I guess standing in the ocean, <laughs> watching this unfold in front of me and thinking I should have been on board and I wasn't.
3: Wow, it sounds like your grandma has been looking out for you throughout your life.
4: Uh Yeah, and you know, and I can feel her presence. Uh, very, very often, I feel her. I, I often feel the presence of some very close friends that I had.
2: This story came in from our listener, Rich. This happened to me when I was six or seven living up in Tacoma, Washington in the mid-60s. At the back of the school was the playground with its teeter-totter, merry-go-round, and a four-swing swing set. In the middle of these was a large square concrete slab we called the court. Out beyond the swings lay a short-mowed field, maybe a good 300 yards long north and south and around 50 yards wide, with a thick wall of big pines and undergrowth of briars and other woodland vegetation on the far side. Though there were breaks in the thickness in the greenery, It was mostly so thick, even rabbits would need a machete. On this particular day, the sky was heavy with clouds and looked like dirty cotton, and we were expecting it to start snowing at any minute. The wind cut like razors, and we almost got recess canceled because of it. But our protest changed the teacher's mind, so out we went, bundled like Russian dolls with our jackets zipped to our bottom lips, hoods tight to just above our eyes, and our hands so deep in our jeans pockets we could touch our knees. My two friends and I headed for the swings, walking with our backs against the wind, and right as we got there, a savage blast of cold air that actually seemed to swirl around us like an ice dirt devil made us turn towards the field, hunching our shoulders and squinting. That is when we saw it. We three saw it at the very same instant, and we froze, all cursing of the wind cut off. Thinking back today, if anyone saw us, they would think we were doing some sort of crazy synchronized riff, because together we rubbed our eyes, leaned more towards the woods, then looked at each other, then back towards the woods. Suddenly, one of the kids on the swing scratched to a stop and said, Hey, anybody else see that? And a girl screamed. "'The spell was broken. "'The five of us took off towards the school so fast "'the cold air swirled behind us in our wake. "'The girl, still screaming, was drawing attention to us, "'causing Mr. Bryce, who was watching us "'from the double-door windows of the school, "'throw open one of the doors and was about to step out "'when we pushed him back inside, "'jumping around him like Chihuahuas on a sugar overload. "'He grabbed up the girl into his arms while saying, "'Whoa, whoa, boys, what's going on here?' We just saw a ghost, the girl said, just before she started bawling. The four of us on the ground agreed at the same time, a woman ghost. Right out there in the woods, standing in the woods, man. A woman, Mr. Bryce said, looking at us like we were nuts. We started talking all at once, pointing through the door windows towards the woods, but no way in hell were we going to look again. Where? He stepped up to the glass and looked out. She's just inside the woods, I said, braving a quick look, hair all standing out in a purple dress, no coat. turned back to us and let the girl down to stand with us. Tell me exactly what you saw. A ghost, we said almost at the same time with my friend Floyd finishing more calmly. A woman was standing up in the woods watching us and she had wild hair, skin paper white, and had on a purple dress and no coat. And a skull face, the boy from the swing interjected. I didn't remember that, but her face was weird, sort of like a jack-o'-lantern, maybe. I think she was trying to wave us over to her, the girl said between sobs. I didn't remember that either, just that she stood there watching us with her white jack-o'-lantern face. At the edge of the woods, he looked back out the door windows, then pushed the door open, heading across the playground. Floyd and I were right on his heels. We marched to the edge of the field by the swings and stopped. The ghost was gone. He looked down at us and said, stay here. And he went across the field and right up to the woods. He looked around, walking up and down and even going a little way in before finally coming back to Floyd and I. Point out exactly the spot you saw her. We pointed, he looked, and then turned back towards the school and started marching back across the playground. We followed. When we reached the doors, he stopped, blew the whistle, and called all the other kids in. Mr. Bice took the five of us to the principal's office, and we all told the story again. After a few simple questions, we were told to go back to class, and that was that. That was around 50 years ago, and I can still see her standing there in the woods, her purple dress and wild wiry reddish hair and white jack-o'-lantern face. Actually, where her eyes and mouth should have been, there was more like black smudges. Later that week, we heard that a group of hippies were living in the woods, and we saw one of them, but we were never officially told that, not by any adult. It was just a rumor between us kids. Someone heard someone say that, and then it naturally became an urban legend. Though I don't believe in ghosts, I didn't then as I don't today. But that incident was so creepy and sudden, it bothered me for years. Well, if people really want to get creeped out, we have a story here to share with you. You all might recall if you've listened to the Legend of Bloody Mary podcast that we talked about various urban legends. And one of those urban legends we mentioned was about the babysitter. You know, the one where the guy's actually in the house. And we told you that we had a friend that this story was based upon. Well, here we're going to share with you Colleen's story and she had other stories that she wanted to tell us as well so it's all kind of interspersed together but in the middle of this and towards the end you're going to get the
3: true babysitter story. Yes and it it was just amazing when we were talking to Colleen because we're like really you know because I always believed it was an urban legend and then just later a movie that was put on tv and so to actually be talking to the person that it was based upon was quite uh quite shocking I would say.
0: I'm going to start with the earliest and then kind of work my way after that so there's a couple to tell. Um
3: cool.
0: we lived in in Glendale, California growing up and according to an old neighbor, this guy was Mr. Noel, I used to practice piano down at his house. Um he lived in the on in the same house on the same street in the early 1900s when John Wayne lived in Glendale, California. And according to him, cool. we lived in John Wayne's house. Okay. Wow so now i 've never been able to confirm that, but that 's what we were told so who knows but the day John Wayne died, my brother was walking into the kitchen and stopped cold, just stood there staring into the kitchen, and we see him from the living room, and he 's not moving i mean, it, it was like he turned into a statue, so my dad 's asking him what 's going on, and he wouldn 't respond. We all walk up and we see this figure floating in the middle of the kitchen that had it, it was a, a semi-transparent it had an opaque quality to it it didn't shimmer like you would see something on sci-fi channel or you know travel channel or anything like that but there was something there that was not normal and then it left went through the wall into the other portion of the outside of the house and was gone and we found out (laughs) later on that day that john wayne had died so that was weird okay (laughs) no
5: just a little freaky
0: a couple of years later after that, or it might have been right around the same time, and I, I am not exaggerating or making this up. Have you heard of the movie or seen When a Stranger Calls? I have. Okay. The original movie uh, was based on something that happened to our family, and I'm, I'm getting like freaked out. I don't talk about this one very often because still I have nightmares about this to this day. My mom and dad went on a date. They left my brothers and I at home with a babysitter. At that time we had two phone lines in the house. My dad and my mom both ran their own business and they had a phone number that was different from the house line in their bedroom. We also had a uh, a deck that came off of the second story of the house that had stairs leading down into the backyard so you could very easily go up onto the deck hop over and get onto the roof and gain access to our house. Now this is 7877, sometime around there so you know things were different back then. People didn't lock their windows and doors like they do now. The phone rings at one point in time and my brother Doug answered it and it was just somebody who prank called and hung up. So we didn't think that much of it. Called back a few more times and each time they're getting a little, everybody's getting a little bit more tense and scared. And now you got to understand, my brothers were holy terrors. We were known for not being the kids you wanted to babysit. They were, they were just obnoxious and they would play pranks on everybody, right? So the the babysitter's thinking that we're playing a joke on her just trying to scare her. And so my older brother answers the phone, and he gets scared. I mean, the color drains from his face. I answered the phone at one point in time. This is probably six or seven phone calls at this point in time that this happened. And what I heard sounded guttural. It was, you know, for a a six-and-a-half-year-old kid, it was like a monster was on the other line. And I started crying. She doesn't know what to do. There's no 911 in 1977. There's just, there is none. So she calls the the rotary dial zero, right? Gets on the phone with the operator and starts saying we're getting, you know, somebody's prank calling our house and they won't stop. So they have a unit come out and check things out just to be on the safe side. It turns out that there was some guy that had escaped from a mental institution. And we were told to get out of the house immediately, immediately. So we go to our next-door neighbor's house, and I remember laying in my neighbor's sister's bed, looking up at the ceiling and seeing the colored lights from the police cars. When my mom and dad came home, there were six squad cars on our front lawn, okay? The guy wow. was calling us from inside the house. He was he oh. was in my oh, mom and dad's. I was dad. about
5: to say, please don't say that he was calling from inside the house. It sounds like a take on Scream,
0: yes, but this actually happened to me, okay? I, I have nightmares to this day waking up seeing the blue and the red on the ceiling in the netting over her canopy bed and being terrified. I got goosebumps right now thinking about this. And imagine being my parents coming home and not knowing what's going on. You know, it, oh, I it, can it, imagine. it was nuts. So then you fast forward a couple of years and we moved to Colorado. And one day we're watching the news, and boom, all this news story comes up that they had captured the Hillside Strangler, and it turned out that there was two guys. And they see the guys in the orange jumpsuits, and one of them was a, a friend of my father's who reupholstered our car.
5: <laughs>
0: he had been in our house, sat down on our couch. I was on the man's lap, and we see him in, in orange jumpsuit prison uniforms for uh, being a serial killer.
5: Oh, my gosh. That would be so bizarre to look on the TV and go, I know those people.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My dad threw up. He got so freaked out, he threw up. I mean, their youngest victim was 12, and when we moved
5: to Colorado,
0: I was just about ready to turn 11 years old. So that really, really hit home. Now, those are the, the stories of things that happened to my family, the stuff that's happened to me individually. I'll go through these real quick. One time I was over at my boyfriend's house, who's now my husband, and he was taking a nap, and I was emptying his dishwasher, okay? And I'm I'm bending over, taking out something from the bottom rack, and I thought he had woken up and came up behind me and did this nice little flirtatious thing of running his finger up my back. So I stand up and I turn around, I'm going to give him a hug, and there's no one there. <laughs> I oh, cemented, my gosh. Just cemented to the ground, couldn't move. I mean, I was freaked out. It was the first time I had ever felt that type of, I was so scared I couldn't physically move. And that one was weird. The other time was he was, uh, after we had been married, I'm in the kitchen one day, and I'm holding this thick glass in my hand, and we're talking thick. This is a, uh, his mom and dad gave us a set of their old dishes, which were really, really nice. (laughs) And I'm holding it. It's not cold. It's not hot. There's nothing in it. And all of a sudden, it just split in half, not vertically, in half. The bottom of the thing looked like somebody had taken a lightsaber and sliced right through it, and then it was gone. And we're looking at each other going, what the heck was that? That was weird. And then after my mother passed away, um, I was staying at my dad's house helping out with a lot of the family stuff that needed to be done. And our dog Anubis is a very – we call him our big white furry chicken, okay? He's just – he's very timid. He's very timid. Uh, If he knows you, he's fine. But if he doesn't know you, he'll shake. He'll do that tremble thing like little dogs do. So he's with me, and he'd been there for a couple of days. And when anybody else was in the room, he was very – sedated would, would be how i describe it. So it's late at night one night, and I'm playing with him, and he's starting to loosen up. He's actually you know doing some tricks, and things are fine and dandy. And then out of nowhere, nobody's awake. It's just me and the dog and the TV. And out of nowhere, he completely shuts down, starts trembling like there's somebody he doesn't know in the room. There was nobody there. And he was staring at the hallway that leads to my mom and dad's bedroom. And this was within a few days of her passing, and she died unexpectedly in her sleep. So, you know, there's all mm. these unquestioned answers and things. And later on down the road, some weird things had been going on. Um, when we got our house, you know, it was one of those sad things because she didn't get to share in that with us. She she passed away right before the the year before we purchased our first home. And my husband's painting his office one day, and he's got the uh, the cable channel turned to some music station downstairs. And it it switches to some other kind of station, and he was like, "Okay, comes down, puts it back on the one he was listening to, and then it changes to something else." And this is like not the music he listens to, but it's very similar to what my mom listens to. He said this happened about four or five times. And Interesting. There, yeah, weird things like that. I've there's no doubt in my mind that there's something out there that we can't explain. That's not tangible. It's not meant to be tangible. And it sure gives some good stories.
5: <laughs> but oh my gosh, how scary for you to have that story really be about you guys! I mean, I'm sitting there going, if she finishes this story with he was calling from inside the house, oh my gosh! So do they? I mean, he so he just came in, freaked you guys out with the phone, and just got back out. No,
0: they they, they he got out of the house after we left. I mean, we're screaming bloody murder. I mean, we're little kids, freaked yeah. out. So we we run out screaming and run next door. And when the police got there, he had already left the house. So they had a they had a manhunt going on for this guy the rest of the night. I I don't know if he was ever caught or not. That's not. I mean, you don't think about that when you're six. You're just thinking what the heck is going on, and there's a monster in, in there's a monster on the phone. So it, 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 I they think it was either six or seven. I was young. I was very very young. And my, it's funny because we checked out Snopes on this at one point in time because Snopes says that it's not been verified or that it's not a true story, and there's different variations on it. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they say that's misleading about it is that the police traced the call and there was no kind of technology available at that point in time back then. And we, we don't remember anything ever having been traced. We remember that there was actually a police officer that was there and said, get out. You know, so there's whatever they base the story on in terms of they they did a loose. Uh, I, I, to this day, I'm telling you, my brothers, like, will not, cannot watch those movies. The, the new sure. one that came out, I watched about five minutes of it and was like, okay, yeah, like we had a sliding wall <laughs> on the new one. But uh, it was, um, sur- surreal is not the right word for it, to, to know that something turned into a, a a story that everybody talks about like you know the you know the, the you know the stuff that they talk about with the if you park and you feel you feel that you hear that swish on the top of the car don't get out because it's somebody hanging there thing based on yeah. like a true story this one was th- this one happened and you and you know who happened one of the people it happened to my brothers are pissed about some of the stuff that uh w- when we find out that we've contacted snopes to get in touch with them and say, you know what, this really did happen to us. And one of these days, I want to go back up to the the Glendale uh, library and see if they have any microfilm on the old uh, like news stories or whatever and see if there's any information just to
5: get proof on it. Well, Weird. absolutely. There has to have been somebody that covered that at some point. Did your babysitter ever babysit you guys again?
0: Oh, God, no. I don't think we had another babysitter at our house until we moved to Colorado, and that's no joke.
5: Yeah, I don't doubt it. I don't think I would have ever come back to your guys' house either.
0: <laughs> my oh, brother man. was the kind of kid that would, he he, he would go take, um, my dad's a carpenter, so he would go take some of that construction plaster. He'd sit on the corner and throw it at cars. You know, <laughs> we have the reputation of you don't want to be that, you don't want to go, no, he's a
5: bad kid. Wow. Grew up to well, be a thank good guy, you but... for sharing those stories. Those are fabulous. I love them.
0: No, you are. You, thank
3: you for doing the Halloween show, and I hope
5: everybody has a safe one. All right, sounds great. You have a great evening, Colleen. Thanks, Diane.
3: The next story that we want to share with you all is, is from an anonymous listener, so they want to remain anonymous on this one. But this story goes like this I was at Arlington Cemetery walking my post. Now, for a little background before I tell you, there was a young boy named Clem who was a drummer during the Civil War. He's the youngest person buried at Arlington. He died from wounds he received during battle. One night, I was walking my post. When I had stopped to make my turns, I could hear something. Thinking that someone had entered the cemetery unauthorized, I stepped off to try and see what was going on. Then I realized I was hearing a drum. In the distance, I noticed a small figure shadow really with a drum. He was beating a cadence. I went back to the mat and continued to walk my post all to the beat of Clem's drum. When I mentioned it to another person, he said he and several others had had the same experience. It seems Clem is still drumming a cadence.
2: Wow, that's pretty creepy. Arlington's a beautiful cemetery. I can't imagine seeing that coming at me.
3: It it just amazes me sometimes when these people will see those things and realize that it is something of otherworldly, and they just continue on with what they were doing. (laughs) I don't know that I would be quite that calm.
2: Or be able to go back and do your duty the next night or the next night. I mean, I'd constantly be like, okay, is Clem going to show up again?
3: Well, it kind of makes me giggle because we do like to do ghost tours and so often they say that things that you won't see with the naked eye will appear on film, and as Diana said, I'm an amateur photographer and I love taking pictures and so, like on all the ghost tours, she's always like, go over there and get pictures over there, go over there and get pictures over there, And the one time when we were up at the old fort in St. Augustine, I'm away from the entire group in the dark over by the drawbridge where they have all these experiences and I'm like taking pictures, taking them away. And then all of a sudden I'm like, if something happens here, I'm probably going to drop my camera and run straight into the ocean. What the heck am I doing over here by myself away from the entire group? And so I kind of just casually walked back over and I didn't say it, but I thought it I'm like, if you want to go over there, you go take your own pictures, Miss Diane.
2: (laughs) So this is my sister, Christy, and she's done a lot of work over the past couple of decades in the theater. And I'm going to let her explain a little bit about what she does and then tell us some of her freaky theater stories.
1: So for 13 years, I actually worked as uh, in the technical field in theaters in different theaters in uh, the Denver metropolitan area. So I do anywhere, anything from stage management to lighting to set design, worked in scene shops
2: and stuff like that.
1: And then more recently, I actually worked for a family-run jewelry store where we built our own freestanding building that was haunted.
2: Before we get into the jewelry store, I know, I believe it was the changing scene. If you would tell us a little bit about the history of that theater and then the ghost that was there.
1: The theater itself. It, it was actually It's a three-story building The owners Which were Alan Maxine Munt Came from in New York City Where they actually Studied dance From Arthur Murray And then they came out To Colorado To teach dance So they actually lived In uh, the top floor On the third floor There was a dance studio In the, the middle On the second floor And then on the bottom level Was actually a theater That sat between Like I want to say 70 to 80 people And they did Very out of the box Avant-garde Type of theater it was very pushing the edge of the envelope type of stuff they had nudity on stage to a little um, risque yeah some risque type of made you kind of think about certain different theater itself but before that uh before they turned it into a theater it for the building had burnt down five times uh, it was actually there was several bars that were actually in it and pubs and stuff like that back in the earlier years. It burned down to five times, but it was never due to electrical issues. But working there on lights is you would always have lights that were flickering and stuff like that that were going on.
2: So tell us a little bit about the ghost who would hang out there with you at the theater.
1: cannot remember her name because it's been so many years, but if you did not acknowledge her when you walked into the theater and say hello to her, she would tend to turn your lights off in the middle of the show. And you could always tell what her mood would be like. When you're sitting up in the light booth, it was like the light sound booth area is there was a panel of lights that were on the side of you and it looked like a bunch of lights which is you'd, you'd swear the building you know should should have burnt down for electrical issues and you could tell by the mood that she was in by how fast those lights would be flashing if they were flashing really fast and she was in a really good mood if they weren't flashing at all then you better watch out because you don't know what she was going to do to you during the show and there was times when you know she would just all of a sudden just kind of make lights kind of come on and, off and while you're sitting there, and you just kind of had to go with the flow with it.
2: I was going to ask you, how did you know she was in the sound booth with you? It would
1: get very extremely cold. It'd be cold enough to where you could almost see your breath. Wow. Mm -hmm. And you could always just feel like there was somebody sitting there with you, which it wasn't too often. I think she'd only come up there once or twice while I was there.
2: That'd be once or twice too many for me. Now, is this the same one who would mess with your controls? No. No.
1: There was also a little boy that was at this one. You could actually hear him laughing in the back corridor. Uh, There was a back staircase that actually went from the different floors, and you could actually hear him playing in that back corridor with a little bouncy rubber ball. You could hear the ball bouncing, and then you'd hear him laughing.
2: Did you ever hear that? Once. How frightening. Now, was it a different theater where you had the woman who would mess with your controls? That was actually at the Victorian
1: Theater. It was actually in an old historic house. And uh, the light controls were different in that building because it was an old house that was converted into a theater, and the theater was in the basement of that house. And now it's actually a private residence at this time, and she would actually tend to sometimes move the controls on you. Because you'd you'd turn back around and you'd be like, wait a second here, I didn't move that.
2: Did you ever see the actual controls moving? No. Now, you said that the shop that you worked at was also haunted. Tell us about that. The jewelry
1: store was actually built on a property that, okay, it was not an Indian burial ground, but there was a lot of apparently battles that were actually fought on this property. There was a lot of kind of disturbances in the area from what a psychic had told us at one time there would be times when you'd be in the store and you would actually start smelling uh heavy cigar smoke or heavy pipe smoke and it would be so centralized that it would just be just in this one area even though there would be nobody in the store with you and then like in the doorway of like the owner's office you'd smell it the owner never smoked you know even cigarettes at all he liked to uh we assume it must be a gentleman because he also used to like to hit the girls on the butt. Um, there was one time when I was actually talking to the to our two sales ladies and I actually got pushed by the ghost
2: one. Oh, my gosh. Um, so How freaky.
1: <laughs> kind of like as if somebody's like, oh, you know, playing that, you know, pushing you like, oh, stop that. It was just like that. To where it was like, I got pushed to where I'm like, it really felt like somebody had pushed me. Because I remember turning around mid-sentence to look. And, then, of course, two girls were looking at me like, what just happened.
2: Wow. So did they, did they see you move like when you got hit? Yeah. And then um, in our vault, we had a big walk-in
1: vault and it actually has a voice alarm. So if you ever get, you know, if you're ever getting robbed and you get locked into the vault is it's got a voice activated, a voice activation in it. So that way it would alert the alarm company of, hey, somebody's locked in the vault. You better get them out type of situation. And at two o'clock in the morning, the owners almost every night at two o'clock pretty much actually get a phone call saying that the the voice alarm has been triggered. The voice activator has been triggered in the in the walk-in
2: vault. Did they have it checked to see if there was any kind of a technical problem? Nope, there's no technical
1: issues they've come out to the building so many times.
2: Wow, that's weird. I wish I would have had
1: more time while I was there to be able to actually go through the tapes to see if, if we ever did catch anything on tape. Yeah, we always said, said that maybe on uh, Halloween, we'd actually kind of do a, we would stay stay overnight in the jewelry store and see what happened.
2: Oh, that would have been creepy. Yeah. <laughs> You've obviously had a lot of experiences.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so and we might have some, uh, coming up in the future. When you live on a farm that's been here for over 100 years, there's all sorts of things that can happen.
2: It's funny that you mention that, because I've been wondering for some time, I'm like, I wonder when they're going to find out that their farm is haunted, because there's been so many people on there, plus you never know what's been on the land before you get there.
1: Well, we had an interesting situation that happened. We were having a big Halloween party, and in our big barn, the big barn has actually been here for over 100 years, and uh, there was something that actually happened in the the barn that I don't want to discuss, but something has happened in that barn.
2: I just want to interject here real quickly. The thing that happened in the barn, Christy told me later, I'm not sure the kids might have been in the room, so she didn't want to say anything, is that her husband's grandfather hung himself in the barn over depression. So
1: family members were actually out camping because we have big enough property. So we had it. My husband's family was out camping and their campers out on our property. And they were up a little late and they decided to go exploring. Well, they decided to go into the big barn to go exploring. Probably about like midnight, one o'clock. They walked in there and their flashlights kept coming on and off. Get out of there and said
2: he wouldn't go back in. <laughs> oh, great, because when Denise and I come up there, we're going to be camping.
3: Great. <laughs> I'm going in the barn.
2: <laughs> you know, the other interesting thing that I wanted to bring up is my nephew, Jacob, had gone over to, it wasn't your next-door neighbor's house, but it was a friend of hers' house, right? And he, they were down in the basement and he'd seen a man down there. Remember that? That was, I don't know, about five years ago? Four years ago? Apparently
1: they actually have an older gentleman that haunts their house that's only in the basement and Jacob was walking upstairs and I can't remember what fully had happened but he sat there and he goes there's a man in that room and she goes what and he goes there's a man in that room and then she asked him where was he and he goes he's right he's standing right there and she described him and then when I was talking to a psychic friend she actually did confirm that there is an older gentleman that actually is haunting in that house and described him even before I even described to, to her what he looked like she described exactly what he looked like according
2: to what Jacob had said. Wow, that's really freaky. Now, is that, is that the only thing that Jacob has ever seen?
1: No, there was, uh, at our house there's also a lady with red curly hair.
2: At your house in Colorado? Yes. Really? I never experienced anything in your house. No, apparently she was actually
1: there. She was there to tell me something, but she needed for Jake to tell me, but she still has never told him. He's never told me what it is that she needed to tell me.
2: Wow, that's really interesting because I can't think of anybody that we knew with red curly hair.
1: Yeah, apparently the same psychic sat there and said that that there's a lady with with red curly hair and I was like, is there somebody else in the house with us? And he said yes and I was like, oh, can you describe her to me? And he described her to me, red curly hair.
2: Thank you so much for sharing those wonderful stories with us and Denise and I are looking forward to uh, checking out the barn at your farm. Denise, have you ever had any ghostly experiences?
3: Um, Actually, I went into this really creepy house. It was this place called Liberty Square. And you go in and it keeps talking about there's like 99 haunts in this house. But the really freaky part is they're still looking for one more.
2: Really? (laughs) That's fascinating.
3: But actually on the serious side, besides... That particular house, I personally have never had an experience.
2: I've had a couple and I'll just go ahead and share them since we're doing ghost stories on this show. Two of the experiences I've had were in the same house and I clean houses for a living. And this particular house was not one of these creepy old houses that you would expect to be haunted. It was a new house and, you know, very modern type house. And the one day I was in the master bedroom and I was in the bathroom and I was cleaning in there and I heard You know those blinds, Denise, that hang down that are vertical? They're kind of thick?
3: Oh, yeah. Sort of similar to the ones we have in our own sliding doors. Yes. Okay. So... You know, when the
2: wind blows against
3: them, you can hear them rattling against each other, right? Absolutely, because that's how sometimes I know Rafiki's doing something, because I'll hear her rattling them.
2: (laughs) Exactly. So I'm in cleaning this master bathroom, and I hear that noise that these blinds make. I forget that when I came into the home, I had to turn off the alarm, and you can't set the alarm, anybody who has an alarm with your house. You know, you can't set those unless all the windows are closed, all the doors are closed. I didn't think about that. So I'm thinking, my gosh, there must be a window open up here, and it sure is banging those blinds. Around, I better go close it because I don't want him to get damaged. So I walk around to every single room upstairs. There was, of course, no open window, but I know that I heard that noise. So I have no idea where it came from. None of the blinds were moving. Just very creepy. Again, in this same house, this was a couple of weeks later, the house was set up so that the, it, it was one of those kind of open type models and there was a kitchen and it kind of opened up into a, a smaller family room and coming off of the kitchen and the family room was this wraparound stairway. It had like a staircase that went up to a landing and then turned and went up the other stairs to get up to the the top floor. And the TV was across the room on the other side, the opposite side from where the staircase was. And I was cleaning that. So my back was to the staircase. And I clearly heard a male voice say, hi there. So I responded, hi, how are you doing? And I got no response. So I turned around expecting to see the man who lived at the house standing there. And I was like, that's weird. Usually he says something, you know, back to me. So I thought, well, maybe he just went upstairs really quick and just didn't hear me call out to him. Although we usually would, stand and visit for a little bit when he'd come home sometimes during the day. And generally if he came home during the day, he'd go upstairs and take a shower and then come back down and leave again. So I go about doing my cleaning and I'm sitting there going, you know, I don't hear anybody walking around upstairs. I don't hear the shower going. So I walk over to the stairs and the way the master bedroom was set up, you could kind of see it if you stood right against the stairway. You could kind of see in the door. And so, you know, I didn't want to be looking if he was up there trying to get dressed and stuff. But the door was wide open, which I thought would be strange. And I didn't see anybody walking around. Well, I didn't want to holler up there and look like an idiot. So I walked out to the garage and I opened the door and there were no cars in the garage. There was nobody home. So I have no idea who said hello to me. And I never had the guts to ask the people who lived there if they'd ever had any experiences because I didn't want them to think I was crazy. The other experience I had is one that I really, I like to tell this story because to me, this one is legitimate. Those other ones I could kind of explain away. Maybe I was hearing things. I like to listen to headphones. So maybe it was just, you know, something that I heard through the headphone. Who knows? This one I can't explain away because it was a shared experience with my sister. We were both teenagers and my folks would sometimes leave us at home when they would go away for a weekend or what have you, because we were old enough. And the way our house was set up is there was a kitchen that went into a dining area that came out into the family room. And there was like a half wall that split the family room from the dining area. And both the kitchen and the dining area were floored with linoleum. I was sitting closest to the half wall. My sister was across the room. And I'm sure we were watching a scary movie or something. And while I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, I hear what sounds like Dog paws padding across the linoleum floor. You know, that kind of clickety, clickety, clickety that dog paws make when they're on hardwood floors or tile or linoleum. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't really be hearing that. I wonder if my sister hears it. So I look over at my sister to see, and she's looking at me. Her eyes are wide open, and so I know she's heard something. And I said, Did you hear what I heard? And she said, did you hear a dog walking in the dining room? And I said, yes. And whenever I tell this, I always say we probably looked really funny as we both kind of inched our ways up from a seated position to standing so we could see, especially me. I was the closest to the half wall, see over the half wall and into the kitchen. And so I'm glancing over the wall. I don't know what I expected to see. There was nothing in there. Now, the thing that's curious about the story is not only did we not own a dog at that time, we never did own a dog or any pet other than guinea pigs and turtles. And the home was new to us. So it wasn't like there'd been a previous owner that might have had a dog that passed away or something. So I don't know what it was, if it was a dog just passing through but we both know for sure that that's what we heard. We want to thank you guys for joining us for our Halloween special. We hope we spooked you out just a little bit, and we hope that you have a happy and safe Halloween.
3: Yeah, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, like Diane said, have a safe and happy Halloween. Get lots of candy, or at least keep the leftovers.
2: And make sure you join us for the next official History Goes Bump podcast, Episode 8. It'll be featuring the Mystery Manor in Nebraska. This has been your host, Diane. And Denise. You all take care now. (laughs)
3: Bye-bye.
6: My eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match He did the monster match The monster match It was a graveyard smash He did the match It got on in a flash He
2: did the match
6: He did the monster match wow. From my laboratory in the castle east wow. To the master bedroom Vampire's Peace The ghouls all came from their Humble abode to get a Jolt from my electrode They did the mash They did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard span They did the and his son wow. The scene was rocky All were digging the sounds wow. Igor on chains backed by his baying hounds wow. wow. The coffin bangers were about to arrive wow. With their vocal group The Crypt Kicker 5 They
3: played the mash
6: They played the monster mash The
3: monster mash
6: It was a graveyard smash They played the mash It got on in a flash
5: They played the
6: mash They played the monster mash From his coffin voice did ring Seemed he was troubled by just one thing Opened the lid and shook his fist and said Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the M.A.S.H. It's now the Monster M.A.S.H. The Monster M.A.S.H. And it's a graveyard smash It's now the M.A.S.H. It's caught on in a flash
5: It's now the M.A.S.H.
6: It's now the Monster M.A.S.H. Now everything's cool, racks a part of the band And my Monster Mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them what is sent Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash The Monster Mash And you, my graveyard singing. Then smash. you can mash You'll catch on in a plan Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash Man. Monster Mash. Oh. 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 Monster Mash. you